Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Female Founders Network, a podcast brought to you by invoice to go I'm your host, Nat, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sylvie. Hey, everyone. We record our show in the Forbes Street studio in downtown Sydney, Australia, but we bring guests from all over the world. So you'll hear people from the U.S., the United Kingdom, Europe, the Asia Pacific, anywhere that we find women who lead and inspire others. This is a great podcast for women who are navigating business ownership, leadership, or just life. Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business. Hey everyone, in this episode, we're speaking with Sarah Cummings, the founder of Teach Ted, a digital health startup which uses storytelling and learning through play techniques to take the fear out of new experiences for kids and families. In this episode, Sarah tells us how she went from her full-time job and chronic state of stress to following her passion and why serendipity is her favorite word. We hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? So good. And where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from Sydney today. Beautiful. What side of the city are you on? Uh, down in Mortdale, so uh, south of the city. Gorgeous. Um, well, for all of you guys uh, listening from other areas of the world, it is a gorgeous day in Sydney. It is the height of the summer as we're recording this in January, so um, it won't be released until later, but it is a beautiful day for recording and for all things in life. So I'm happy that you're in our city. Um, so you've got an interesting business and an interesting story, one that I find uh, very interesting as a mom specifically. So do you want to tell us, first of all, how you became the woman you are today? Sure. Uh, so I guess I think the thing that probably defines me most is my family are all from the country. And mm-hmm. I was born in the country and spent all of my school holidays in the country, even though I grew up predominantly in Canberra and Sydney. Um, but the reason that I say that is Firstly, my grandmother was there and she is a person that I think really strongly defined who I wanted to grow up to be. She was an amazing woman who, you know, was heavily involved in a lot of the associations in the country and was really one of those people that everyone in the town went to when they needed help. And she mm-hmm. played that role in our family as well. She was very much the sort of the stone and the the, the rock that held all of us together and um, I spent a lot of time with her and she taught me a lot of things but a lot of it was just about the importance of your role in community and giving back and that you all need to support everyone in order to survive because in country towns they don't necessarily have access to all the services and so if everyone doesn't do their bit things just don't happen and that's very much been a guiding force I think in all of my decisions in life and things that I've chosen to do. Mm. But also she was just an amazingly beautiful person that everyone wanted to be around. And I always sort of was like, if I grow up and be like her, I'll be super happy. So um, wonderful upbringing. Yeah, it was. We moved around a lot when Mm -hmm. I was a child. Like I've been to, I think I counted once, I've lived in 26 different houses and been to 13 different schools. And a lot of that moving was, you know, in my much younger years, and it, you would think that I would therefore not have a sense of place, but mm. I actually do because we always went back to the same place for school holidays. Mm. Grounding force. So, yeah, Where was that? and I think that's 
that's it's in um, a very small town called Blighty, which is country in New South Wales. So it's about uh, two hours inland from Albury and on the New South Wales Victorian border, basically. Yes. Beautiful. Um, it's a beautiful part of the world. It's um, very much like I took some friends down there once from Japan and they were like, this is what we think of when we see Australia because it's all the gum trees and the, Aww. you know, the farmlands full of wheat and sheep and things like that. So it's, it's very sort of typical um, what people not from Australia think of Australia as being. It's those greys and, and olive greens rather than the rolling green hills that you see down in the southern highlands or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Quintessential Australia. And then you also have the best Australian accent, I think, <laughs> because this is what this is the accent people think of when they think of Australia, mm. people outside of Australia, I believe. Yeah, I certainly didn't realise that my accent was quite as country Australian until I heard myself once on a TV show and just went, oh, yes, I am definitely from the country. <laughs> but, so you know, nice. super proud. So, so um, yes, I think I've got the benefits of both worlds of, you know, having those country experiences, but also because I mainly did my schooling in Canberra, you had access to really great resources and, you know, wonderful teachers and exposure to a whole range of different people and different ways of living because Canberra has all the embassies. So mm. you get a really wide range of people who live there as well. That's yes. awesome. So how, how did that shape what you wanted to be when you were older? Like, did you at that point think you'd start your own business or what were your aspirations when you were a young woman? Yes, I was quite um, lost really as to what I wanted to be. Both of my parents were public servants and moving around a lot, you become very adaptable and and good with change. So I sort of always wanted things to change. Mm. So I moved out of Canberra pretty quickly, but I never really knew what I wanted to do. I was quite good at maths and I was quite good at languages. And so I got into ANU, which is the uni down in Canberra, uh, doing commerce and Asian studies just because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And because my family were public servants and my extended family were mainly farmers or small businesses in the country, I didn't really have a lot of exposure to uh, a lot of different industries. And I was sort of like, oh, I don't really want to be an accountant because I really enjoy interacting with people, but mm. I don't actually know if there is a job that exists. So I went to uni for a little while and um, found the bar pretty quickly and ended up dropping out of uni um, after my second year and uh, just got a job. I was just applying for admin jobs just for to do something. Yeah. And I ended up getting this job as a receptionist and admin assistant at a financial planning company. And I didn't really even know what financial planning was, but when I started doing it, I was like, this is perfect because it's all about numbers but it's all about relationships with people because yeah. when you give advice, you have to have great conversations and really understand what people need, not just what the figures are. That's, you know, I had some really good uh, financial planners in there who showed me what great financial planning looked like. Yeah. And I was like, this is great. I've just found what I wanted to do. And then basically I spent the next 15 years meandering my way through that industry. I moved up to Sydney and did all sorts of different roles in there from financial planning to marketing, sales and distribution, product management. Um, as you can see, I like change. Yeah. <laughs> um, Were these all different companies and, or with, under the same company? Yeah, a range of companies. I found that 
I'm not great in really small companies because they often don't um, have the sort of depth for you to learn from other people and I really enjoy learning by working with people who mm. are really good at what they do and in small companies you have to do everything. Yeah. But then I'd go into quite large companies and then I'd be frustrated because I was expected to just do this tiny little bit of a job and I was fascinated by everything. Yeah. So I've sort of found a sweet spot in those companies that are about 52 200 and 300 people I tend to work really well because there's enough variety of people who are really good at what they do that you can learn from them in quite a specialized way but they're small enough that everyone is expected to do a little bit of everything and know a little bit of everything yeah I found um, working in a variety of big companies and small companies was really helpful because in the bigger companies you learn a lot about scale and building governance structures and things and in the smaller companies you really need to learn how to hustle to just get everything done and also how to get things done with on really small amounts of money and um, and often time and resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's um, there there are benefits to both, right? Like you, I've worked at like massive companies, you know, Fortune 100s in the states, and then really small ones. And it's interesting because the smaller ones. There are different frustrations and different benefits for each. Mm. But it's it's I I definitely recommend it to anybody who's listening. It's like I think people need both experiences, especially if you want to be an entrepreneur or a leader of some sort. Yeah. It's like that sunscreen yeah. song where he says, um, live in New York for a year but not long enough until you've come too hard <laughs> yes. and then live on the West Coast, but not too long that you've come too soft. It's the same thing. Like work in different size businesses for that like maximum best experience and then do your own yeah. um figure it out for yourself and how it works best for you as an entrepreneur. Yeah. So, Soak up the learnings. Mm. Yeah. So while you were working yeah, in these I love that song. businesses, <laughs> yeah, it's good, isn't it? <laughs> Such good life lessons. Always wear sunscreen. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, God, yeah. Which is especially true for, as Nat mentioned earlier, the Sydney weather today. Yes. But, um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> just keep going And back I am uh, English, Irish, Scottish by heritage, so I have sun that does not I have skin that does not agree with the uh, Sydney weather. <laughs> oh, I'm the same, but I've got like a little touch of Greek, which is very helpful. Uh, handy. <laughs> <laughs> it's very handy. Thank you, ancestors. Yep. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so while you were working um, in different businesses and different divisions and like kind of like, you know, cutting your teeth on all these different areas, did you start to think, hmm, I want to have my own business or what? what was your mindset like during this time? It's funny because I never really thought of having my own business. As I said, mum and dad were public servants and although my family were farmers, you don't really think of, I mean, it is actually a giant small business, but you don't think of it as being that. You think of it as a job, I think, because I was, everyone had one. Yeah. Um, but at the whole time that I've been working, I've always done a lot of volunteering. Yeah. So I've always been involved in um, all different types of organisations, Um just any opportunity to volunteer, I have a strong sort of visceral need to give back and help people. So I've done mentoring um, both formally and informally and, you know, we used to always have different charities that we would support through the companies that I worked with. And when I was younger I did a lot of um, work whenever we did work experience and things in schools and particularly in the some of the special needs schools and yeah. loved it. Like I just think spending time with kids is such a nice way to make yourself feel happy. Yeah, definitely. Um, and particularly a lot of the kids, uh, 
in the special needs schools, you tend to get a lot of the ones that I was at, you tended to get a lot of kids who had Down syndrome mm-hmm. and just the most beautiful children. And you just sit there and go, you know what, I'm getting so much more out of this than you are because you've just made my week. Yeah. And then when I was in financial services, I was always doing a lot of training and things. So there's sort of this recurring theme through my life of spending time with children and doing teaching and training and creating stories basically. And then when I had my first child in 2008 and I left, I was doing a sales role at the time and I left that role because it's very hard to do, you know, a full-time sales role when you have a small child because you never know where you'll be. You might be, you know, in the country or caught at an appointment. It's not a very um, easy to plan around kind of Mm. job. And I started to really miss the presentation side of things. I'd always done a lot of presentations and I I'm, was missing that engagement with lots of people. And so when he was born, I, we did a naming day because we're not religious mm-hmm. and I was um, involved in putting the naming day together and just went, huh, this looks like a great job. And so I trained up to become a marriage celebrant oh. and uh, just for something completely different. And it um, is a wonderful job. Like I still do it a little bit now, not so much, but it's the most amazing thing to do because you're part of these really important moments for people. And I'm a big fan of rituals. Yeah, yeah. And I just love the the way that as a celebrant you can really help to make someone's wedding incredibly personal. Oh, that's amazing. So you really are kind of with that role and also if you're volunteering getting kind of close to families and and being in like special moments of people's lives and and being part of that is are these the things that then inspired you to wanted to start teach ted yeah it was um the other thing that happened when i had my kids is i started going to playgroup and Mm -hmm. playgroup uh is an institution in australia you know the um the governing bodies for playgroup, I think, started in the 70s. Yeah. And um, they ha- became a bit more organised. So originally it was just communities that got together and then they started to provide governing bodies to help with things like insurance and how to set one up and best practice and things like that. And uh, it it also is one of those things that I think is really important to new parents you know there's actually playgroups now that have dads and grandparents and all sorts of things um but it's it provides that sort of safe space for you to go with a child and you know feel like you're not the only one doing it but also have connection with other people at a time that you might otherwise be quite isolated and so I got quite heavily involved in playgroup and was running some of the local playgroup zone and uh, running events for that and also started doing some work uh, basically going around to a lot of the baby clinics and teaching families about learning through play with their babies. So yeah. a lot of people don't know what to do with babies, but there's a lot of research now that shows if you play with your baby from a young age, it can make a huge difference to um, how their brains develop. So um, started doing that and really loved it. And at the time, a friend of mine who I met, her daughter's born on the same day as mine, she and I had been um, talking about all different business ideas and we'd started up this little business doing fingerprint trees for weddings and things and Uh we were 
it's, this is a meandering story, sorry. But, uh, <laughs> that's all right. Her Sometimes daughter, we meander. Sometimes that's how life yeah, happens. that's right. <laughs> her daughter had uh, open heart surgery at six months old Aww. and um, thankfully very successful. So her daughter and my daughter are now both massive, you know, like 10 foot tall, almost not 10 foot tall, but <laughs> growing very quickly. So yeah. clearly it worked. Um, and she had put together this picture book for her son to explain what had happened. And I thought it was amazing. And I was like, something like this would be so valuable for other people. Again, you know, coming back to that country thing of if you have something that's useful, you've got a responsibility to share it. Yeah. And and so we talked about that, but obviously the picture book was very personal. It was pictures of her daughter and things. Mm -hmm. And then a few, about a year or so later, both of my kids went in for really basic surgery. So my daughter was having grommets and adenoids removed and my Mm -hmm. son was having his adenoids removed and by that stage because I'm doing all this playgroup stuff and all this learning through play I was like you know I had books to teach my kids about going to the toilet and starting school and having another baby and all these sorts of things but I knew nothing about hospitals because I only ever been in when I had babies and both of them were natural births yeah so I didn't really know how to prepare them for it we went in we had lovely staff who were really good with kids, but my daughter went down screaming and mm-hmm. when they go down screaming, they come up screaming. Oh. <laughs> and it was the most horrendous thing to stand there and watch. No, no, honey, let the strange man put the mask over your face and make you go to sleep. That's perfectly natural. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I just was, I was really upset that mm. I sort of basically failed as a mother to prepare myself and my child for this experience and but I had no way of knowing because there weren't really resources to tell you and because it was such common surgery Mm -hmm. it's not like if you're in a children's hospital and you're having say open heart surgery they have these amazing people called child life therapists Mm -hmm. and they come in and they play through what's going to happen to prepare the child and so I was like you know how good would it be to have some of that knowledge out shared with the rest of the world and at the same time Sarah had been talking about wanting to illustrate a children's book and so we were like well why don't we write a book about going to hospital yeah and that's basically where Ted started and so simple we started drafting it up and she was like I can't draw people that's fine animals are great and (laughs) the other advantage of animals is they appeal to all children, so you don't end up with that issue of kids looking at it and going, but that doesn't look like me. Mm, yeah. um, and it also meant that because we didn't have any parental figures in there, we have Lammy. Lammy is Ted's trusted friend. Yeah. And as a result, it also appeals to children from all different familial structures. So, yeah. you know, kids who might have two mums or two dads or live with their grandparents or a single parent or... Mm-hmm might be in foster care they don't look at it and go oh but that's not about me mm, so so, so inclusive oh, yeah so, nice. so that started that was in 2012 um and we started in earnest to try and get it off the ground and almost got it we got a prototype of an app up with some friends who volunteered time and almost got a grant to get it going and then the last minute we didn't get the grant because we were a company building an app, not an app building company, which apparently was an issue. So let me just re, re, like re, rewind a little bit. So the first, in 2012, you came up with the concept for a Ted Goes to Hospital book, which teaches kids 
about the experience of hospital, that it doesn't have to be scary. Here's Ted going through these different scenarios with his trusted Lammy to hold his, his paw and show him that it's all going to be okay. And then what happened then? So it, before, you, before you started to do the app, did you then get that published or did you mm. self-publish? Like what was the story to kind of launching your company and getting it out into the market? So it's, it's a bit the same way I get most things done is I enter us into a competition or something and then go, by the way, we're now going to try and build an app because that's how we move forward. <laughs> um, so we'd started yeah. reading, writing the story, but we kept going. This was, bear in mind, this is when iPads had just come out and yeah. e-books had come out and everyone was going, oh, books will disappear and we're going, we're pretty sure they won't. But um, So we started looking at turning it into an e-book and then... Um, we were like, oh, but wouldn't it be great if it could be a bit more personalised and engaging and apps had just started to come out and so I found this competition about building an app and as part of that I got in touch with the child life therapy team at the children's hospital at Westmead and they mm-hmm. were so helpful and they really helped us with the language. As a Language becomes really important with um, children. So if, as an example, instead of saying, there's no need to be scared because the child mm-hmm. will go, hang on, I wasn't scared until you said it, now I'm scared. <laughs> you say, I wonder uh, what will happen. And then you're opening it up for the child to feel whatever they feel without, because children have a tendency to look to you to see what they should do. That's that's how they learn. Okay, interesting. So yeah. they gave us a lot of tips like that. And the other thing that we did was we put together these um, notes that the parent could have that explained things that might concern their children. So as an example, um, probably not so much in this day and age, but back then um, any anyone wearing a mask was really scary to adults. And if you think <laughs> about the lack of context they have, the only people they see wearing masks are the bad guys in movies. So in their yeah. brain, masks mean bad guys and it also hides facial expressions so they can't yeah. read the situation. Read them. Mm-hmm. But if you tell a child about that and you let them play through it beforehand then they're actually okay with it because then they've got context and they understand. So the team there really helped us with a lot of that work. Mm-hmm. And we thought, well, we don't have any money to print a book ourselves. And back then there weren't any of these print-on-demand services or anything. So yeah, why don't we yeah. enter this competition and, you know, if we get anywhere with that, then we'll have somewhere to go. And that's where we started to build the app because everyone we were speaking to was going, this is amazing, I wish I had this. So we're getting all of this positive feedback from all our sort of core target market, both from parents but also from people we knew who were medical professionals. And that's basically what kicked it into trying to be an app. And then we just missed out on the grant and then at the same time um, we had some health issues in our family that meant that I had to go back and get like a big job again basically. Mm -hmm. And so I had to go and go back into financial services and my intent was to do it for two years, but I ended up there for five. Right. <laughs> you basically had to be the breadwinner, you mean? Yeah, well, I've always been the primary income earner and my husband's been more um, primary carer. Um, but at mm-hmm. the time we were, I mean, I was trying to start three different businesses at the same time. He was doing shift work. Right. We had two kids that had respiratory things that meant we were up at oh. emergency every five minutes and, wow. you know, basically something snapped and yeah. it was like yeah. I just need to go and get a stable income and have some sort of stability and unfortunately it meant 
that I had to put this aside and also I'd started a group of um, younger celebrants called Engage Celebrants and I had to put that business down as well. So it was all, it was yeah. really heartbreaking to, you know, be on the verge of two things being quite successful and just having to go, nah, okay, we'll have to stop wow. now. Yeah. That was a really hard decision but obviously like it's quite inspiring that it's something that you then came back to. It just goes to show that you can sometimes have a break and, you know, take care of your family and take care of yourself as well and then come back to your business at a later stage to pick it up again. Yeah, and I think that's, again, one of those things that was drilled into me from my family was at the end of the day, family is most important. Money is lovely and, you know, success is lovely, but at the end of the day, if if your family's broken, you're a bit stuffed. Yeah, so right. um, I had I kept talking about it to people because I couldn't let it go and everyone just yeah. kept going, oh, I wish that was around. I wish we'd had this. You know, you got a lot of yeah. that. I wish this was available. And so I ended up moving into the senior management team. Um, I, was one of, I was the first female onto the senior management team at this ASX-listed company. And, um, and it was a really big job and it was a big jump for me as well. I hadn't realised quite how big a jump it was from a, a sort of career perspective and I, I sort of struggled with some of those elements of it, which was quite hard because I'm used to being able to do things. But it also was really full on, like there was a lot of change going on. Um, midway through, my dad was quite sick and um, I had to look after him. Our family's a little dysfunctional <laughs> and oh, so I had mm-hmm. to be there to sort of help, you know, work things through and so a lot of stuff that just all these big crises kept happening around me which was quite hard to deal with. But the whole time yeah. I was like I, I ha- I'm missing out on helping people because I'm so busy at work and when I spoke to mm. people about it they're like oh but you're earning all this money now just donate money I'm like you don't understand what drives me no. giving money <laughs> yeah. is lovely happy to do that too but I have a visceral need to physically help people you and, yeah you, you, that's how you come across that you you're very caring and you like to be in there like being in the play group helping the people mm. and like being on the front line not just yeah kind of yeah. donating money and it's your time and your your love that you give to people and it's, I yeah. think it's quite a selfish thing. Like if I'm having a really crappy day, I'm one of those weird people that, you know, looks around the train station to see if anyone needs help getting somewhere. You know, I'm one of those people because it just makes me feel better. And I think it's that yeah. you focus on someone else and then you don't get as caught up in your own crap. Um, yeah. You know what's so funny? I just actually just I just want to pause on this because it's so important for our mental health. Mm. There was this woman the other day. She was like um, a little um, elderly woman with osteoporosis. Mm -hmm. She was like bending forward. She was holding her groceries and she was trying to hail a a taxi. And it was like the cutest thing. And I was like, do you want to get in my Uber? (laughs) Like I took her in my Uber and like dropped her off um, and, you know, added a stop or whatever and like helped her get in. And I was like. It's been a long time since I've done something like this. Yeah. Like, it's been a long time since I've helped, like, I'm big on, like, helping elderly people. I just think that there's not enough people that help them Mm. um, in the world. And it's just, I'm like, when was the last time I helped an elderly person with something? Mm. I find it really interesting, Sarah, that you say, like, it's kind of like something that it's a selfish need to help Mm. others. Yeah. That actually makes you feel better about yourself. Because I was listening, like, do you think that, 
any good deed is ever truly just altruistic where it's like completely selfless and there's not anything where it makes you feel like good about yourself or just like satisfies you yeah (laughs) yeah I don't I don't Um, really think there is but I mean you know there's obviously it's a selfish from a sense that makes me feel good not that I'm maneuvering it so I get an advantage out of it exactly no no exactly yeah yeah there's no like ulterior motive it's an underrated way to improve your Mm. Um, improve your um, feelings for the day, though. I think uh, people forget yeah. how good it makes you feel to, to, help, to help other people. That's or so maybe true. it's just me. <laughs> I don't no, know. no, I, I feel that as well. Um, you know, like it's one of those things where you love to give gifts more than you like yes. to receive them sometimes because yeah. it just feels better in, in a exactly. strange way. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so you still had this. You were business like in the back of your mind you were still getting validation from everyone that you're talking to about it but Mm. you were at your job for five years what was the crunch point for you to then think okay I'm gonna dive back in so was a couple of things all coming together I ended up at the end of 2017 I basically I don't think they call it a mental breakdown anymore but it was basically a complete collapse of all of my health systems I ended up getting diagnosed with um, sleep apnea. I now have a sleep machine. Um, Mm. And before that, I thought I was having um, developing early onset dementia because I just, I couldn't remember the words for things. Like I was just dysfunctional. And I was living in a really chronic state of stress. And Mm. I had um, insulin resistance that had developed because basically my cortisol levels were running so high all the time my vitamin d had dropped so i felt like i was going to cry at fluffy kittens i had um you know really low iron levels and just a whole heap of things and i was like this is not working and i was also coming to realize that in the role that i was in um it it just wasn't a great fit for me that particular I don't know if it's the stage of the the management there was some dysfunction within the management team but it wasn't you know their fault I can own my own behavior but I was Mm -hmm. everything was just not really working and when I was doing things to um when I thought I was trying to help people it was often being misinterpreted as me trying to play political games because I have this sort of social fairness um tilt that a lot of people don't think that I have and as a result a lot of my actions can be misinterpreted as trying to be maneuvering when actual fact I'm just really want to help people or make sure that the people who can't speak up for themselves are spoken for and um the whole thing was just you know there were a whole heap of things that came in at one time and my CEO and I just went you know what this is a, a really good chance for me to go and do what I need to do for myself for the business to change the way my particular area was being run and I left on really good terms so um it worked out really well I um got enough money as a payout to you know be able to do my business and I kept talking about my business all the time and I was sick of talking about it and not doing anything but I didn't have any headspace to do it with the job that I was doing so I finished up there in January 2018 and that's when we sort of started to again in earnest and I basically just entered every pitching competition I could find and um 
within by, I think we did the first two in May. We got into the finals for the first one that we did and we won the second one. The second one was only a baby one, but, you know, still very exciting. And the first one, you know, we didn't have anything other than a pitch deck at the time and the the other companies that got into the the sort of last round that we got into, they Mm. were amazing companies that already had traction and things like that. So that for us was a real validation that, one, we had a great idea and, two, we were articulating it reasonably well. And then what was the prize for winning that? Was that like to get funding or to be in an accelerator? So the first one was Mums & Co, which is a great organisation for um, female mums who run Mm -hmm. businesses. And we we got into the the final round. We didn't make it into the top, I think the top four or five did uh, did a final one at their conference. But it was a whole day of meeting all of these other amazing women, some of whom I'm still good friends with. Um, They had investors and um, people who run accelerators and things as the judges. So you also got really good feedback and you also got to meet people in the industry. So that one um, was more about connection and the other one was through uh, Academy XI and we got out of that we won um, some time with a coach uh, nice. We got some free courses and um, and a meeting with another uh, group that ran, you know, how to build apps and things like that. So really they're, yeah. they're predominantly a lot of the pitch ones that I do. It's, it's more about um, the experience, getting a name out there and getting mm-hmm. to, to get these introductions to people that you wouldn't usually get access to. So I've won a couple of others since and... Again, it's, you know, meetings with an investor that you wouldn't otherwise get access to, won some nice bottles of wine. I did a a three-minute pitch to um, Jason Calacanis, who runs a big accelerator over in America. Yes, Um, our last guest actually just spoke about him. She she pitched to him as well. That's so funny that he's come up twice now. (laughs) And that was amazing because that was um, just a sort of off-the-cuff. It was at the launch festival launch conference that he ran over here and the other thing that it did was it got our name out there so people came up to us afterwards and you know I did a pitch at Fishburners which again is a you know huge supporters of females uh, entrepreneurs and it's a co-working space and out of that we had a guy come up and say he would do because our old prototype had died by that stage he would do the app programming for us for free because he'd been in hospital when he was younger and you know his mum Um, was just so stressed and didn't know what to do. So he wished something like that. So that's Jeremiah and he's amazing and he just did all of that out of the goodness of his heart. And, you know, so I've just found that a really nice way to move the business forward and to really test what we're saying. That's good advice as well for people listening because these are things that you can quite easily Mm. find out about and enter in your own city and go for. And like you've said, like you never know who you're going to meet. You can't even go there imagining who it might be that you'll be meeting or being introduced to. So you just have to go for it and then see what happens afterwards. Yeah. That's really great. Serendipity Mm. is my favourite word, I think. And I've found, like I, I met another guy who actually gave us some money to print the book through one of these events. So as my biggest yeah. tip to people is just go and get involved in things. There's a lot as well that give you coaching. So the Mums & Co one, they'll actually give you coaching beforehand. Um, mm-hmm. North Sydney Innovation Networks, they do one and it's actually virtual now so anyone anywhere can join and I help them um, once a year as well with pitch training. 
So they yeah, actually give you awesome. pitch training before you pitch and they're all really friendly. They're not like Shark Tank. You know, everyone who's there yeah. wants to see you do well. So it's a. I just think it's a really great safe space to mm. test out your ideas. So, so yeah, so, what, so with um, TED right now, or is, it is Teach TED, isn't it? Yes. What's yeah, we the, became like, Teach TED in August last, in 2018, I think. We finally yeah, got a new it? name because Ted goes to hospital was way too long to say. <laughs> <laughs> and then Teach Ted obviously like can apply to loads of different scenarios. Like, exactly. I guess like Teach Ted uh, family are getting a divorce. I yeah, exactly. Yeah. One of them and all of these different things that you can learn about. What's the state of the of play right now for your company and where do you see it expanding to in the future? So we self-printed um, our first book, Ted Goes to Hospital, in 2019. And um, we now sell that through our website and we also sell through bookshops and we've sold to some libraries and things. Um, we also have um, a program. We've got some funding from an angel to do a pilot getting Ted Goes to Hospital handed out as part of the onboarding into hospitals so we're just wow. looking at a hospital partner to trial that with. Um, we have a clinical trial in progress at the moment at Sydney Children's Hospital that UNSW are running with us. We got a tech voucher from New South Wales government for half of that. And wow. that is Ted gets a blood test. And Amazing. <laughs> we're only in early results yet. We don't have full results. But so far it's reduced the amount of time that it takes to get a blood test from 13 minutes to five minutes. Really, because of that, not having that feeling of like anxiety, being scared about it. Yeah, yeah. So one, so, it helps the child, but two, it it, it yeah, saves money. It helps the hospital. Yeah. That's awesome. Look, what about Ted gets the vaccine? I feel yeah, like yeah. So that's what I'm. Times. That's what I'm building a case study for at the moment. So we're we're trying to pitch to basically any of the health um, organisations that will listen um, to to use Ted gets a vaccine because we know yeah. from parents that we speak to that things like this make a huge difference and the advantage that we have over what a lot of the companies are, and organisations are putting out at the moment are videos with real people and mm. or, vi or cartoons and, and a lot of the time they're using basically Anglo kids in Australia, um, yeah. which means that you can't, they're very hard to remake for anyone. You know, the advantage with ours is the artwork never has to change. All you're doing is you're overlaying a new voice and a new um, tape line of wording. Yeah. So we're working on that at the moment. That's basically my goal for the next three months is to see if we can get um, take up of that in organisations basically around the world because it's so easy to apply. And we're targeting specifically those kids that might need a bit of extra care and attention. So kids who have mm. more generalised anxiety, but also um, children on the spectrum, uh, you know, children who might have learning issues or might have had past trauma. And yeah. we know that those groups in particular respond really well to medical play. So it's not just reading the story. There's offline activities that go with it where they, you know, can trial out doing giving an injection to their teddy bear, for example, and talking through it. Um, the other thing that we encourage a lot is talking through the bear. So where children might not tell you directly how you're feeling, if they, if you say, oh, I wonder how Ted's feeling about this, children will often give you a, a very long stream of consciousness. 
And then talking to Ted and telling Ted directly. Exactly. Or just talking as Ted. So here's what Ted is thinking because they don't have the sort of mental acuity to realise that you know it's what they're thinking. So we have these gorgeous handmade Ted bears that, um, that people adopt from us and we found they've been really helpful for kids to be able to, you know, share some of their emotions in a much more safe space because kids get very worried that they're going to upset their parents. Yeah. If I gave you $100,000, like, today, what mm-hmm. would you do with that money to expand your business? And I, what was the, what's the first thing you would do? The yeah. first thing I would do is um, finish animating the video for Ted Gets a Blood Test and release that so that everyone everywhere can get access to it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and the great thing about what we're doing is it doesn't cost that much and... I would do the same for vaccines and then any money I had left over I would spend on basically trying to get that message out to families everywhere because we yeah. we are one of the only sort of medical tools that in this space that can be used directly by parents it doesn't require any specialist knowledge to deliver it you just yeah. you, you already know how to engage with your child in a story and how to help them play so our biggest things are to get those two produced which we need about 30,000 for and then it's how do you get that message out there in the most effective way possible. We also focus really strongly on um, being low-tech. So if there are people who, again, coming from the country, you don't have great access to internet all the time or the fanciest devices. So all of our stuff's designed to work on really, you know, basically based web browsers. Um, We want to build out some AR games, but again, they'd be on web browsers, so you don't have to download an app, you don't have to have the fanciest technology, you don't have to have strong internet connection, It's Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of things that you can do offline when your internet goes down. Yeah, that's such a great idea. Oh, (laughs) I love how you're not only inclusive, but also so accessible and that you're really thinking about that and that is part of your brand. That Mm. is awesome. Mm. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us. If Just before we go, what would you say is your like best piece of advice or one tip that you would share with other founders who are, you know, starting their businesses or maybe even if it's, you know, thinking about leaving their current job to, to follow their passion of something they really want to do? I think connecting to the community, you know, the startup community is so different now to what it was in 2012, particularly for females. It's very welcoming. There are a whole lot of organisations now set up specifically to help females. So I just finished a mm. fem-powered program with fish burners, which was amazing. And the benefits you get out of them is the connection. And yeah. everyone you meet tells you a story. And I find, you know, that really energising again to know that there are other people going through similar things to me, but also it just gives me energy to hear these amazing stories about what other people have achieved. So connect into the community. Yeah. They can be your energy. And it's very hard for people who, you know, your family and friends, if they've never done startup, it can be very hard for them to understand some of the challenges and frustrations. So having other people you can talk to is is super important. And also just talk about your idea where you can because you get so much useful feedback from people that helps you to evolve it and know how to really shape your message. So then if you do end up talking to someone who might, you know, have money to either be a customer or an investor, you've really got your your pitch neat and you know, you know, the ways to explain it that are clear to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
That was definitely that's awesome advice. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. It's been amazing to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you both. And if parents want to find you, where can they um, find Teach Ted? Head to teachted.com.au and our books are on there as well as our adoptable bears. But there are also a lot of free resources that you can use to play with your kids and to understand the sorts of things that might concern them. If you've got kids that are going for a blood test and you want to give a try of our um, tool before it's publicly available, you know, send us a message. We're very happy to, to share that with people. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by invoice to go We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere, at any location around the globe. We're helping close the gender-based pay gap. Because the current U.S. pay gap sits at around 19%, listeners of the Female Founders Network podcast get exactly 19% off of any subscription. Just enter the code EMPOWERWOMEN at checkout.